You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. All right, I got my water. Check. Got my water, too. I ran to the bathroom. Check. Got my chapstick. Check. I'm coated in lavender. Okay, I don't have that, but... All right, so just just me. Um, white privilege? Check. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Hello there. Hi. Hello, Vixen listeners. We're back together, back in action. This is Maddie and... Jesse. Jesse. It's been a while. I know, it has. Um, busy summer generally, so. Yes, and I know that, um, it's been pretty busy for a lot of us in the, uh, MLGA podcast network, too, because people are moving, changing jobs. Yeah, it's been a pretty busy summer. So we're trying to get back on schedule, at least we are. (laughs) Yep, all good things. We're still here. All right. Well, um, actually, today we're going to talk about... Racism, <gasps> which we are not allowed to talk about because we are white. But you know what? Yep, I my melanin content says uh, that I'm apparently not allowed to contribute to this topic. Um, and looking at you through that screen, I see your melanin content uh, would dictate the same, Jesse. Yeah. So, but you know, crime here we come. I don't follow the rules, so we're just going to talk about it today. <laughs> So we are, we are contrarians. <clears throat> yes. And I think that one of the biggest mistakes that we've made in this country is that we don't talk about it in a, in a, in a more uh, coherent setting. We like to yell at people and call each other names and make accusations about people's characters instead of actually sitting down and trying to understand each other. So, um, one of the things we're just going to try to tackle for sure is uh, we want to t- we want to talk about the left viewpoint on racism, the right viewpoint, and then how libertarians navigate this topic. Because like where we've been talking about in the past is we want to really point out how different the libertarian voluntarist viewpoint is on a lot of these topics because we get accused a lot of the times of being right or left, depending on who we're talking to. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things that, um, I was just thinking of too is, uh, I guess a lot of the things that we've been discussing in the news, everything seems to come back to racism. I mean, the people, the shootings that happened a few weeks ago, um, there's, one of them was one of the guys was considered um, a racist because a lot of his target was towards um, uh, people of Hispanic descent. And um, I know that a lot of uh, people on the left think that people on the right are very racist. If the, especially, I mean, they've lumped everybody. It's like, no matter what you do, you can't win. Um, If you 
voted for Trump, you're a racist. If you are Trump, automatically. If you're if you're Trump, you're just a racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Michael Malice in his book, uh, he has a page where he just lists all the things that are racist in 2000. Is it 2018 or 2019? I can't remember. But it was just a list of like just ridiculous things, like milk was on there. Um, yeah, I mean, so milk is white supremacist. Yeah, I think that, um, in fact, uh, I was listening to uh, another podcast and uh, he was talking about how the the left uses racism so much that it's lost its meaning now. So it's been diluted. Yeah. So now we don't even really know who really is <laughs> the white supremacist anymore and who's, you know, just a maybe a a Trump supporter. <laughs> so, um, on the right, I think what we see a lot of is a lot of people on the right. And, um, I don't know if you listen to Jesse Lee Peterson or watch any of his shows on YouTube. He's a, he's a black, um, conservative and he, he will make the argument that racism is, doesn't exist anymore. Um, and he, I don't know if I quite, follow him on that or believe agree with him on that because i mean clearly there's racism still in the world i don't think that we'll ever get rid of that but i think he he makes a good argument that maybe i think he's trying to say that it's definitely not the way it used to be because he grew up on a plantation he's and he grew up during um jim crow south so he definitely experienced racism and now he sees something completely different. So, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on the, I guess, on the conservative viewpoint? Well, so now that you um, described him a bit more, I've definitely heard him probably on like a years ago episode or interview with um, Stephen Molyneux. Oh. But I'm, in, I'm interested, and I was actually like on the same page with you that maybe... A, a common right wing idea about racism is that it doesn't exist anymore. Um, okay, that's like a dream and a fantasy, just as, um, you know, there's a lot of unrealistic thinking uh, on the left. But um, it's interesting that, and I was going to say, it, it, you know, it's a very usual thing that um, you might hear certain right wing, uh, not ideologues, but, you know, pundits talk about, whether they're on TV or on the internet. But um, I actually didn't know that... What's his name? Jesse Lee Peterson? Yeah, he has he hosts a show called The Fallen State. And uh, I... Well, that sounds up my alley. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is a very interesting show. I don't agree with him on a lot of things. He has a very... Um, he has a very, very strict, like, gender role belief system. Like, men are over the women, and women need to stay home and have kids, and... Um, that kind of thing. And he's very religious and he uses, he puts his, his um, Christianity into a lot of his viewpoints where I probably wouldn't go that far, but I do like that he will sit down with somebody who vehemently disagrees with him and he will try to be, you know, as he'll listen to them, he'll let them have their say. And um, he tries to give them a platform so they can, speak up for themselves. I like that idea of it, but, um, you know, just like with anybody, I don't agree with everything he says, but, um, I just think it's really, 
shocking for a lot of people to hear a black man say, there's no racism in America anymore. <laughs> I think that always puts people off guard. Yeah, I, I, like I've said, it kind of is even surprising me. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, yeah, good for him for deciding that it doesn't exist in his mind, at least, and putting it out of his way. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to, at any point further be a deterrent for him or it's going to not affect his life um but and so i think it kind of comes down as most if not all things do comes down to the individual and so what their experience is is going to be different from everybody else on the planet's experience and so um but i think a lot of our experiences are i don't want to say predetermined but they are we certain ideas of ours might be pre-prescribed based on like what our mentality is or you know what you what you're expecting um to come out of a certain situation if you think and are so determined that racism is not not only exists because i think that is more of a fact of human nature um that humans don't necessarily all like each other and they're not going to they're never going to but um that oh I totally lost my train of thought, Jesse. Well, okay. Why don't you kind of give me an idea? Because you live in what we would consider the North here in Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a damn Yankee. Even though we did discuss that you live in the Middle East, basically, of the United States. But um, (laughs) what I was just thinking is, um, you know, I just thought this in my head. You probably experience a lot more um, diversity and a difference in just how people communicate with each other and associate and your neighborhoods are probably a lot more integrated than maybe they are here in the South. Oh, definitely. Okay. I mean, so when I was in kindergarten, um, and I was even explaining this difference between, um, my boyfriend who grew up in more rural Howard County, he went to school and there might've been two black kids in his elementary school. Meanwhile, like there were a couple in my, in my kindergarten class. And it's like, I didn't see them and think of them as anything other than other students in my class, my, my classmates and uh, my friends. And, um, you know, so I grew up immediately with just all different kinds of races, backgrounds, what have you. But, um, oh, I guess so what I was going to try and say is that, um, so like, if you already have this pre-described, pre-prescribed idea and notion that everything and everyone, everyone is racist, everything has um, a racist undertone to it. It's mm-hmm. like, it's a hammer and everything's going to be your nail. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I was going with it. That's a good point. Cause, um, okay. So I live in Tennessee. I live on the East, East ten- in East Tennessee too, which is a little bit more like they say, there's three shades of Tennessee and it just gets darker the further West you go. Um, so we're, I'm in the white, whiter side of Tennessee. Um, which is where the Appalachian Mountains or Appalachian people live. You'll see a lot more if you go, I live in the city, but if you go further outside the city, you see more um, more white people, more poor white people, I will say. And um, you're going to see, you're, if you talk to any of them about race issues, they're going to have a lot of negative things to say about certain races of people. But one of the things that I was, I was, I noticed because, you know, 
having been a home hospice nurse and, you know, driving around and you're going into different areas, like I would be going out to go see uh, a mostly white trash, you would call neighborhood, which is a trailer park or something. And then I would end up in this, the inner city part of where I, where I live and it would be mostly black. So I would see a lot of different sides. My opinion with the people that I would go see that were more on the the white trash side is that they have a lot of negative things to say about black people but I think that the reason why they say that stuff is because they really don't meet a lot of black people and they may have had one or two negative experiences and so they just you know they just they stick with that they generalize all black as people their, to that one has been their experience yeah unfortunately to that one bad experience you know and um, one of the things, too, um, if anybody, I would recommend for anybody who's listening to this right now, read uh, White Liberals and Black Rednecks by Tom, uh, Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell. Yeah, because he talks about this because this is makes a, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, he talks about how, like, after slavery ended, the um, the black people that were sl- that were or the slaves that were freed, they began to kind of go into the more of the poor white neighborhoods and live amongst them and start, they started to adopt some of those types of behaviors, which a lot of the things that we think of as black behavior, like higher crime, uh, uh, single motherhood, things like that were actually, you know, pretty Appalachia, pretty uh, poor Irish, poor Scottish behaviors. So really they're acting like white people that's more a white behavior. So um, that's kind of what I noticed. And so when I would see some of these Appalachian people out in the, the trailer parks or out in the in just rural areas, um, they would have a lot of real generalized ideas. But then I think if they were ever in a situation, first off, I don't think they would say half of the stuff they say to a black person to their face because they know that would be stupid but um i think that they would also change their mind i think too if they realized how similarly that their behavior is to the to the the other poor black families um they probably could relate to each other a lot more and i think that um you know that's how you change hearts and minds is really getting yourself out there and exposing yourself to different people as much as possible. When you isolate yourself off into the woods, you're going to have a pretty narrow view of the world in general. But I mean, Michael Malice, like Michael Malice says, that's your freedom to associate however you want to. So that's, you know, some people choose to live that way. And who am I to tell them to think differently, I guess, but um yeah no that is true i mean like the only thing we can do is try to be open ourselves be self-aware um i think that always helps and obviously go back to i don't know in some ways and, and this is one of the reasons like i've said before that uh part of the benefit i see in being a libertarian is that it's easy (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and when I mean it's easy, I mean it's just like there's a baseline principle that 
it, everything else comes from that and it makes everything else like your stances on certain things uh, stances on everything every topic that comes to mind it makes things quite simple you don't have to and, I, and that doesn't mean like oh that's like a lazy way to think about things but the underlying principle of non-aggression that solves the whole racism issue it's like you can have whatever dumb opinion ignorant opinion you have about people but if you're not initiating violence on them or if you're not telling somebody else to go initiate violence on people of a different race that you don't like for whatever reason um you know let people have their terrible dumb opinions exactly but also okay so there's you know devil dead devil's advocate it's like um i covered that i said that you're not supposed to also tell somebody else to go initiate violence upon a group of people that you don't like that means the way you vote and so people all say that Trump's racist, and um, I really, I think, I don't think that's been proven. Uh, I think that's something that's just shouted from the hilltops of CNN, MSNBC, and every other left-wing news source on the planet. Um, I think it's a convenient label to put on people that they immediately want others, an, aud- an audience specifically, to react Mm-hmm. violently in some in some cases if you look at um how extreme the left wing has gotten yeah i mean um, i think the thing about the left and i was going to kind of come back to this is that i think that um the left champions themselves as being the open ones the ones that are um open-minded they're more tolerant and um you know they so they want to say the other side is not the other side is closed-minded. The other side is not tolerant. The other side hates gays, hates um, different minorities, hates diff- certain religions. They, they demonize the other side, and they don't realize how intolerant they are and how closed-minded they are to the other side. So uh, that I think that you kind of touched on something there because... Um, the way I see it, and I mean, I'm coming from a family that was mostly conservative, you know, growing up in East Tennessee, I, I live in a town that is pretty much the Republican Party has a stranglehold over our city and over our county. So um, I think that coming from that perspective, the way that I viewed racism, I just never really saw it as as much as people think that you would if that makes any sense now like i probably grew up like where you're with your boy how your boyfriend did where there wasn't that many black people in my school but i remember my first best friend was an egyptian girl and when i went to um elementary school i had a friend that was indian and um we had a lot of asians at my high school so I, I had a different experience with different races than maybe other people might think. I think that Oak Ridge being really close by and drawing a lot of Asian families to study and to work for the labs over there had a lot to do with that. So it exposed me to a lot of that type of those types of cultures. Um, so I do feel like I got a chance like it wasn't like I lived in white wonderland and I just never saw people and then we ah. and that we all just had these um really 
old ideas of like how different races are and how different um, and how white people need to be just off on their own. It never really happened. Um, so I, I, I think that what drives me crazy, I guess what I'm trying to say is what drives me crazy about the left. And this happened to me when I moved to Chicago the first thing that people would always ask me is like, how bad is the racism in Tennessee? It's like, that would be like the equivalent of me. I don't know how, that's just a very insulting question. You know, that, that it's a very leading question. It, it assumes, it, it, it assumes a lot. Yeah. And it was not even, and I know they didn't mean it in a mean way, but they, that was just their first thought is like, the South is racist and the South is um, the Bible Belt. So the, not only is it racist, but Christianity is somehow linked into being racist, too. So if you're a Christian, you're a, you have to be racist as well. and very close minded and you hate gay people. And it's just a lot of the uh, loadedness that drives me crazy about the left. And which is one reason why, you know, and my friend, my my leftist friend asked me, like, you know, one of the reasons why I don't, I'm not a leftist or I'm not a Democrat is because of that mentality. Because there's, I don't like the idea that you automatically assume the other side is all these god awful things. <laughs> it makes me mad because I've experienced that and that type of prejudice um, a lot growing up. Yeah, no, definitely. And. I mean, it's a really toxic mentality. I mean, I've said it plenty of times before here that my day-to-day life, I assume that most people disagree with me. But in also saying that, I don't assume that everybody is evil, like, because of that. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same thing could and should apply here. It's, you know, I don't look towards anybody of a different race and immediately think like I don't draw up the conclusions um and I hope and I hate I hate the idea that people might be doing that to me and I know that people do that to me and it's like I'm white and so people living in this intersectionality left clown world including Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. who isn't an ally of yours intersectional left she is a She's a disgusting neocon that happens to be in the Democratic Party. Um, And, but it's like, she herself was saying that every white person is inherently racist and guilty of racism. Like, lady? That's because she is. You and your husband are so, yeah, just because you're evil and have destroyed, uh, destroyed, you and your husband have destroyed lives in the Middle East. So everybody of that descent um, destroyed lives in Africa and what you've done to Central Latin America, whether it was your guidance and under the, as you were Secretary of State or whether it was um, when you were just sort of there as Bill's right-hand lady, mm-hmm. um, not the object of his affection at all, <laughs> but it's like, how dare you? make that assumption about me when you don't know me at all and you've got that blood on your hands. Oh, and and not to mention that when um, her husband was the president, they they enacted drug laws that that basically targeted black people. 
You know, there were laws that were saying that um, possession of um, crack cocaine would have higher sentences than just having cocaine. You know, um, so clearly the people that are going to have that drug in their possession more than more than the other are going to be black poor people because that's what they can afford. And they would end up in and then um, they've had they were the ones that put in the long prison sentences for drug possession. So, um, I mean, they, they've destroyed not just other countries and, um, the lives of people in other countries, but they destroyed the inner city and they destroyed black families as much as, I mean, you, I mean, way more than you can say Trump has done. Um, and, and that you would think that the way that he's being described, like he's just rounding up people in vans and they just are disappearing and nobody knows where they are, (laughs) but that's not even remotely the case. (laughs) That's why I have a really hard time when I hear lefties saying that Trump is the worst president that we've ever had, because number one, you don't even know what, if he's the worst, because he's not even done with his first, you know, we don't know if he's going to get a second one, but he's not even done with his first term yet. Um, he still could do something god awful that we don't know about yet, or he might—I don't know—cure cancer. Who knows? Like, calm down. Um, yeah, it it goes to show people's short, short sightedness, short memories, and overall ignorance, but also like just the brainwashing yeah. that they've been subjected to. It's like so I understand why and i see why so many people have just the totally wrong idea but it's like okay you want to know who did round people up and put them in barracks and cages well not cages but barracks and they were all u.s citizens uh fdr mm-hmm. the left favorite yeah the left saved the country the left's he saved robbed. the country from a depression with his um horrible policies he didn't save it he just prolonged I it i know I know, that was sarcasm on my front. He prolonged it. Oh, yes. Got it. Go listen to Bob Murphy talk about how destructive the FDR's New Deal policies actually were and how that that uh, like monstrosity of government governmental program actually prolonged the Depression for a lot longer than it needed to be. And my, my thing for... Uh, for leftists to do anybody who is on the left or they are leaning left in any way whatsoever and you're listening to this podcast right now i want you to go and just search walter e williams and uh, minimum wage because he will tell you minimum wage was designed specifically to price out black youth from the workforce and that's exactly Mm -hmm. what it has that's what it did and it continues to do that because um Unfortunately, we have a lot of black young men who they stop their education, they can't finish their education for whatever reason, or they go to really poor city schools and they need a job, an entry level job. But when you make the entry level jobs more expensive for the employer to to get, they're going to try to find more people that are that are higher qualified that they have better education or that have more experience instead of giving that chance to a young black boy. So think about that. I mean, it's just the minimum wage 
minimum wage is just a bad idea for a lot of reasons, but it definitely would hurt more black poor people than help them as much as you think that it would. It doesn't. Um, and then, I mean, and then like, look at Bernie Sanders and everybody on the democratic uh, platform right now talking about like $15 an hour, $18 an hour, just skyrocketing that minimum wage. And it's just, okay. Like, like, that's basically increasing the the mountain of people that are going to not be able to have a job. And unfortunately, a lot of those tend to be people that are not white. And so your racist ass, dumbass, economically <laughs> illiterate policies and values are as racist as you deem everybody else is. You're just too blind to see that. Because right. it's easier to make yourself seem like you're a superhero because you post things on Instagram about, about being anti-white supremacist. And it's like, I don't care. Like what is the actual, um, final step? What is the actual result of your promoted policies? Yes. And I think that that's the thing is, um, every, you know, all these policies have really good intentions, but the, when they're actually put into practice, they actually hurt the people they are intended to help. And that's what ends up happening over and over again. You know, I, I'm, I've been called cold and calloused about a lot of things. And, the, and um, the minimum wage issue is definitely one of them that I've been called calloused about. Because I say, you know, let them get paid $3 an hour. If they don't like it, they want to get paid more. They will do whatever they have to. Whoever it is, not just, you know, black people, but whoever will do whatever they have to to earn more money. If that means they need to get more training, if that means they need to go back to school, if that means that they have to work longer hours or I don't know, go to your boss and ask for a raise. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sell uh, your, like sell yourself <laughs> to your boss in that, in a way that's like why should why should he pay you more for what work you're doing? Yeah. Does that mean you need to prove that you're actually deserving in what you're doing for him and his company? You're actually doing more than what he's paying you for. Or so actually you go to him and say, like, I'd like to earn more money. What can I do to do that? Yeah. Instead of just voting for somebody that's going to steal, steal money to right get have it go back to you. Yeah. And I mean, okay. And then um, another aspect of that, too, is, you know, this living wage thing is that um, well, what you're complaining about, you want to make a living wage. Well, the reason why things are so expensive is because we keep increasing the minimum wage, which increases the prices for everything else. How, like your housing, your groceries, your gas, everything has to go up when we increase the minimum wage. Like one of the things that, um, see here in Tennessee, we pay our nurses, our CNAs, our EMTs a lot less than other parts of the world because our cost of living is lower. So when you're saying nationwide... That makes sense. <laughs> right. But when you're saying nationwide, you know, McDonald's employees need to make $15 an hour, well, now you basically are paying a McDonald's employee more than you're paying a CNA, more than you are paying an EMT in some cases. And um, I'm only making, you know, depending on what area of nursing I'm working in, I might only be making like maybe $5 more an hour. And I've went through a lot more training to do what I have to do than a McDonald's employee. So that means that 
everybody's going to have to start being paid higher. That's what's going to end up happening. Because EMTs are going to quit if they if they can just go work at McDonald's and have, a, you know, 100% less stress. You know what I mean? So people are going to have to start paying their EMTs more, paying their nurses more, paying CNAs more. And, you know, there's other jobs out there that um, fall within that that are going to have to be increased. So you're not just increasing that person's uh, wage. You're increasing everybody else's and it's going to cost employers more and it's going to what ends up happening is when employers know they have to pay more money for their staff then they're not going to hire as many staff that happened that's happening in nursing as we speak okay so that's why right now a lot of hospitals if you ever get sick and you end up in a hospital and you you look at your nurse and she looks like she's like 14 years old well, that's because it's cheaper to hire the new grads than it is to keep the older seasoned nurses and happy in the hospital. So they'll do whatever they can to make the older nurses get out so they can hire the new grads. So you're not even going to get as good care, in my opinion. And you may, I mean, I could be wrong. There's always like these new grads that are amazing and, um, and they do a great job. But I think that most would say they'd much rather have the nurse who's had 20 years under her belt serving you at, in the ER than a, a nurse that's only done six months. So, yeah, no, I've, I've seen, like, I know nurses and I've seen that play out exactly as such. Like, you know, she finally had to quit um, the practice she was at because they didn't want to pay her um, because she didn't have the right degree. But what she did have was 20 plus years of experience working for them doing exactly what was needed learning on the job and as she went you know it's just yep these perverse incentives and things that people think are they're doing and supporting and having somebody implement for the quote-unquote right reasons oh it's yeah just the ramifications are serious and they're felt by real people people of every color and so yep. I think, I think like a, a lot of it, a lot of everything just comes down to understanding economics and mm-hmm. supporting proper See, that's um, the, economic. And that's the libertarian thing is all focused on yeah. economics and voluntary exchanges of ideas and, and um, services. And, um, and it, it's all about merit. You know, we, we don't care what. We don't care what your religion is. We don't care what color skin you have. We don't care where you were born. But, you know, we care about, you know, if we're talking about like an economic exchange, we care about the product that you're trying to give us. And if you're going to give it to us for a fair price or for a service, if you're going to do a good job, that's what we care about. None of the other stuff matters. And, yep. and are you are you contributing towards the bettering of other people's lives? And how is that being determined? Because those people the real people just everyday people are going and buying that product that they decided that they want that they wanted to trade their hard-earned money for that person's product and 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 for some reason it's either making their life better more enjoyable easier um it's that is how the world turns it's like people that have an idea they create a product or a service it's better it is proving to be something that's improving the lives of of others otherwise they wouldn't be making money off of it they wouldn't be able to sell their product they wouldn't be able to sell their service they're not they're not forcing 
their product upon anybody. Mm-hmm. But people on the other side are voluntarily choosing to spend their money on it because it is a net positive. And so, like, that's the whole private versus public sector. Mm-hmm. The In the private sector, truly private, like, not cronious, corporatist BS, it's the truly free market where it is 100% voluntary. Yeah. And it's consensual. And both parties uh, come to the agreement that they can trade money for good or service, and it's, everybody becomes happier in the end. Yeah. I mean, and there are some libertarians that really think that money, even if we could just get rid of money, even, things would be better because we would just be trading services for for um, things. Like, I'm going to, I will resurface your patio for uh, some ground beef and bacon and some milk or something you know like they're they're gonna trade it for food or they may trade it for another service you resurface my patio and i will put a new roof on your house things like that where you get the things you that you money would have bought in the first place you just get it directly that way um i'm not stupid enough to think that, that we'll get there in my lifetime, if we do, I think that would be great. That's one of those things that um, that's one of those things that works really well, even t- that could and would r- work really well even today on a very small like local scale. Yeah, and um, you know, it that's what everybody had to rely on back in the day, back in whatever day. You know, it just like very localized, uh, community oriented uh, relationships. People kind of had to be nice to each other. And so, like, you know, mm-hmm. even if you were a racist old white person, um, you know, there might have been a black person, a black family down the street that, uh, you know, cooked really well. Or he was a carpenter and he was like a brilliant woodsmith. And so, you know, people started to realize that we are able to help each other based on what we're, you know, our God-given gifts are. Right. And, and so, like... I think um, that's one of those things where kind of refocusing on um, like decentralization. It it all I think a lot of this hyper driven uh, racism to whatever extent the racism that we do see today exists is a lot to do with this top down mentality coming from Washington that Washington's going to run all of our lives, every aspect of our life, and it's like mm-hmm. you don't even know us, you don't even care about us, and um. So it's just that it's been amped up to such a degree that it it really drives us away from the idea that we should be interacting with our neighbors. Well, I think the idea that we need to have government involved to, like, regulate this racism, quote unquote, that that um, leads to things like the Jim Crow laws, in my opinion, Um, or it leads to putting the Jews in a ghetto. I don't think we need to have government involved in that. First off, I don't think we need to have government involved in anything. But second off, if it's a arbitrary, subjective concept, government should never be involved in that at all. Because what mm-hmm. you would what you would view as racism, like that's the problem with the left is that they will see racism in everything that a person does. And okay, and I say when I say left, I'm obviously I don't mean everybody. So don't get your panties in a wad. But, um, and that goes for the men too. Uh, just, you know, be aware that people might do things for other reasons and you just don't know what those reasons are. Like, 
if you are at a store and you're the only black person in the store and this woman comes up to you and is just rude to you and asks you to leave, you know, it could have nothing to do with the color of your skin. It could be that she's having a bad day that day. She thought that she saw you steal something because she saw you pick up something and you and then maybe you put your lipstick in your purse or something. And she thought you were stealing something and putting it in your purse. She made an assumption it was probably wrong, but it had nothing to do with you being with her being racist. It had. A, and so maybe just calm down a little bit on that, because Honestly, I don't know of any situation where you lead with that thought process and it ever goes anywhere good. Like I have a friend, for example, that we've lost touch with each other because we do not agree politically on things and she decided that she couldn't handle it. But um, one of the things that happened to her, yeah, she um, was she was at a nightclub one night and a friend of hers ditched her and her friend is her friend should be. I don't know if she still talks to this guy anymore. He ditched her for another chick. He went to go home with some other chick. So she had to drive home by herself and she had a few drinks and she got pulled over because she ran a stop sign and she immediately assumed the cops were racist against her. So she starts being sassy with them and yelling at them. They asked her to get out of her car. She refused. And, um, when they went to open her car door, she like just, she did something where she, they thought she was about to swing at him and they pulled, pulled her down and, um, they were rough with her and they were wrong too, because they, she showed me like how they ripped her clothes. She had skinned up knees and elbows and stuff. Jeez. So they handled everything wrong too. They should have known as well that, you know, if I was a police officer and I was pulling over a girl who was not white, <laughs> And this, she's Indian, so she looks like she kind of at nighttime probably could have passed for like a mixed girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably wouldn't come at them like that, but they they were stupid. So there's two sides to this that were dumb. But her first reaction is they're they're just singling me out because I'm black. I that's what she because she knows that she looks black. So um, I feel like. Her seeing everything from that perspective makes her life a lot harder. She as she ended up having to serve some time. She had to go to court. Oh, all man. that, all this other stuff that probably would never have happened. But I also think that they escalated it too. They saw that she was anxious and they escalated it. But that's one of that's one of the things that just I feel is one of the disservices that. Um, for the black community that keeps happening is that there's like this mentality that all these people are going to be racist against you. You need to be hyper vigilant, hyper aware of it. And of course, when you're constantly thinking that you're anxious and you're going to act anxious, you're going to act a certain way and it's going to make other people react to you or see you differently. So that's just one way to think about it. Um, but at the same time, I think, I think everybody needs some lavender. (laughs) Yes. I mean, lavender actually reduces your cortisol production. Which is uh, the stress hormone. I mean, I'm going to say this, too. I mean, guys, um, people who are listening that are uh, of African-American descent. I mean, as a white person, I am hyper vigilant of that as well. I never want to come off as I'm treating somebody badly 
because of the color of skin. And I'm, I'm always, when I'm dealing with people um, who are not the same race as, as me, I try to be as accommodating and as nice as I c- can be because I also have to be aware that that's, they're going to see me a certain way. And it puts me in an anxious situation as well. We're all, and wouldn't it just be nice? I mean, wouldn't it just be nice if we just didn't even have to worry about that? Yeah, it'd be real nice. Cause then I have the, like a similar anxiety. It's like, was I nice enough? And it's like, am I only being nice because they're this color? And I, and I think that they've got this preconceived notion that because I'm my color, like I'm not going to be nice. And so it's just, it, yeah, it's dehumanizing on both fronts. And, um, you know, there's so much more to life and there's all this richness that we're missing out if we have these ideas of against each other. And I think it's another way that the top down, uh, shall I say lizard people, um, <laughs> the people in power, people who will rule over us, over all of us, over people of every single color and shade. It's another point of distraction and a way to divide us further. Yeah. Um, because it's, I've said time and time again, it's like, it's not about what, you know, we're doing here on our underclass level. Um, it's not about us versus them on any of this level playing field we've mm-hmm. got. Um, it's all about the rulers and the ruled, the, the ruling class and us that are being ruled. Yeah. And so I think every opportunity that the higher ups have to stir up and create more division amongst us that are just, you know, your average Americans of every color. And it's not just a white black issue. I mean, um, my husband is half Chinese and, you know, he's, he's on the left as well. And I remember us having discussions when we first met and he would try to tell me how Asians in general have so much racism against them for certain things. And I agree that there is some level of that, but, um, I think that Asians have by and far have assimilated so much better into this culture than, black people have. And I think that's because there's like you were saying, there's these elites that really, really, really want to divide blacks and whites in this country more so than others. Um, and now I think we're starting to see like the attention kind of focus on people who are like Arab or, you know, people from Muslim countries. We're trying now we're, I see we're we're trying to have that division now. Whereas I think Arabs and Indians and other people from those uh, Muslim cultures actually have done pretty well in this country economically Um, and I think educationally, too. Well, it's all about like, you know, what are the resulting levels of success from groups that have not been treated with kid kid gloves? Mm -hmm. I mean, Asians were really poorly treated, um, but nobody kind of ever came in on a white night and said, oh, we need to be nicer to Asians. We need to make sure Asians get jobs. We need to make sure there are Asians in leadership roles. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> honestly, like Asians, you know, the Japanese are do- are very successful. Chinese are very successful here. You you made a really good point. They, you made a really good point. No, they had no, um, you know, white liberal group. They didn't have defending them or working on their behalf. They had to pull, they those proverbial bootstraps. They literally had to pull themselves up by it. And they did so, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that I think so. I think a lot of this idea that these God almighty, these white, white knight liberals are actually 
doing so much more harm than good. Yep. Because they're acting as if black people, um, and, and like you said, things are changing. It's like even the people that are the illegal aliens, like Mexicans and people of um, Latin American descent, it's like, <laughs> I would look out and I would say, no, thank you. Um, no, thanks for your quote unquote help, because I've seen what you did to the black population yeah. here. Yeah. You haven't helped them. This is made their lives worse. And this is the thing that drives me crazy is that, you know, check your white privilege um, as if that will help black people by just admitting that you are white and that you should feel bad about that. Yeah, Um, I'm white and I'm an imperfect person, but I'm not a racist. Yeah. (gasps) Bleep yourself. Yeah. And that that um, drives me crazy is I I remember having um, I remember an an ex-boyfriend, I've talked about him before in the past, that um, he would tell, he would tell me that um, having voter IDs was racist because black people can't get a hold of voter IDs as easily as white people because they don't have access to public or public transportation. And I was just like, are you kidding me? That is racist that you would even think that. So racist. Um, yeah, I love that one video. I can't remember even who does it. But, oh, um, I know. I know what you're talking it, about. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where and, like, they he go goes around, around to and they're like, it's of, just right around the corner. It's right, right there. Like, and I have one. Well, and here's if my, I needed a new one or like, it's right there. I can go there. Like, here's my, here's my iPhone. And, you know, I can, it tells me where I need to go or what I need to do. Like, I've got internet access. I, we're living in 2019. And for you to keep acting like these people need your help, white liberals, they do not. Yeah, and I I just feel like um, the racism that I see is not so much on the right anymore. I don't know if I ever really saw it, to be quite honest, and I live in the deep south, so I never really saw a lot of my white friends, like, say the N-word or um, exclude people because of the color of your skin. It never really happened a lot, but then again, you know, I lived in a primarily white Asian neighborhood, so I didn't see a lot of that, but I, I just never experienced it. And I, if somebody said that word, I mean, we would have been slapped in, across our face for saying something like that. Cause it was not an acceptable, acceptable word. Um, I remember Cam saying something in one of his podcasts about how like he lived, grew up in Alabama and you, if you said that word, it was like strictly taboo. I mean, let me just tell you that in the South, I think that we are kind of like the Germans when it comes to like Nazism. Like we are ashamed of that history and we don't want to be like that. So that's not in our vocabulary. That's not a common everyday thing. <laughs> it's just not a thing guys. Um, as much as you think that it will be if you come down here, you know, so um, all the black comedians that talk about traveling down in the South I don't know where you guys are going or if you're just making up stuff. I don't know. Maybe you're going to like the mountains where I'm from, but it's not a common everyday thing that you, that you're going to experience that. So, um, if anything, you're going to be treated with probably with too much kindness where we're probably going to be in your personal space for too long and a lot of sugar and a lot of fat. Good stuff though. Yeah, I guess. Oh, sweet tea. It makes me just die of diabetes thinking about it. But um, 
I don't know. Do we need to say anything more about the right? I mean, on that, on the issue of racism, I think the biggest thing that I see on the right that makes the mistake is what we've already said is that they just don't really acknowledge it. And maybe they should be. They don't acknowledge it out of fear. And I know and understand that they've been beaten, uh, you know, figuratively beaten to a pulp by uh, everybody on the left saying that they are racist. And so it's just like, I don't know, the most um, advice I could say for the right is don't apologize for things that you haven't done personally. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just thought of something, too. I mean, I actually know people or well, I don't know them anymore because I don't talk to them anymore. But I grew up and knew a couple people that were they called themselves Klansmen like they were in the KKK. And I remember that one of them in particular ended up in jail. He had to he did something wrong. And um, one of his cellmates was a black guy. And he told me that. When he got out of jail, he, you know, he just stopped paying his dues. Apparently, it's kind of like being in a union. You pay your dues (laughs) to be in the KKK. He stopped paying his dues and he just got rid of that. I don't find that just a coincidence. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways. Union jab right there, but... Like I like I said before, he it's that's how you get that's how you change hearts and minds. You get to know people, your enemy, and you realize that they are not your enemy anymore. And um, mm-hmm. he realized when he actually met and had to live with a black person, oh my God, it's they're not the evil things that we thought they were. And um, I would, I mean, if you're um, listening to this and you think that that is crazy. Um, maybe you need to get out more and meet more people that you think might disagree with you. Um, give them a chance to, you know, be themselves. And you realize people are not as bad as you think they are. Be as liberal and open-minded and tolerant as your t-shirt says you are. Yeah. Um, and especially about the idea of like Christianity, um, being like synonymous with racism as well, because a lot of white supremacists use it. They, they use Christianity or they try to use the Bible as a, as a way to um, justify their racist ideology. Um, I found some verses when I was talking to uh, Maddie, when we were preparing. So I'm just going to read a couple verses. Um, the first one here is first John two eleven. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So I think that's pretty that's pretty self-explanatory. Amen. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. I mean I could keep going on, but I think those two verses really sum it up what Christians believe, um, what true Christians believe about God, how God created us all in his image. It doesn't matter the color of our skin, doesn't matter where we were born, um, what gender we are. Um, what matters is that we're all one in Christ. So, um, I don't know. I think that's a really good way to transition um, out of our own episode and to our quick, stunning, and brave yes. corner. Um, I think you introduced that perfectly. But so, um, if you 
ever have any ideas or like I, I shouldn't say ideas, but questions as to maybe how um, how Christianity and religion in general can work hand in hand with libertarianism, voluntarism, um, anarchism. Mm-hmm. I think like the best person that I've found to turn to to a- answer these kind of questions for me has been Mike Meharry's Godarchy podcast. Yes. And so that man is stunning and brave. Yes, I think that he um, he really sums up in that particular, in the last episode that he did, um, he really sums up how um, Christianity really is an, an inclusive religion. And there's nothing in that, um, in Christianity that really supports racism. Um, and the reason why he said this is because, um, and I don't want to say this like um, as a like, I'm not racist because I have a black friend kind of scenario, but he is married to a black woman and he has had white supremacists come up to him and tell him that he should divorce his wife. And they tried to give him a bunch of Bible verses to justify their reasoning, which is disgusting because you know, you're taking it out of context. And you're also God, I mean, specifically tells us that he hates divorce. So I don't know how you're justifying one sin for what you call another sin. Mm. Um, But that's why I think he decided that he wanted to do that particular, um, uh, episode on racism because I think that um, he got some pretty god awful advice from a white supremacist and um. Anyways, the the episode that sounds like stuff that sounds like stuff you can file in that wastebasket <laughs> file. Yeah. Like. Um, the episode is um twenty three and it's the um identity politics and race episode. So I think that is a pretty good uh. If you guys wanted to check that out, it's a pretty good episode. I would check out, I would, like, on this related subject, I would check out the last two, because before that episode, he interviewed Maj Torre, who, um, and I'm probably not pronouncing that right, because I can't speak every language, and I can't, anyway, Butcher, Butcher City, um, but he is the founder and leader of Black Guns Matter, and so, a similar, yep, uh, Similar set of topics and, you know, breaking down the idea of race versus uh, the Second Amendment. And, you know, if you're a if you're a gun-touting Second Amendment supporter, you have to be a racist. Um, no. <laughs> the Second Amendment is for black people, too. Yeah. So that's worth, I think, I think that uh, maybe libertarians differ from other things is that we just, we view people, every individual, based on their merits, on their ideas on their actions we don't care about their character we do not care about things that you have no control over which is the color of your skin that does not matter um and uh ayn rand has a really good quote about that being just like a very primitive uh, form of collectivism which in my mind she's basically calling you stupid if you're a racist because you're just literally doing the laziest work ever you're judging somebody off of what you see and that is such a lazy way to think so yeah um and I also wanted to say, too, that, um, and Dave uh, Smith has said this on his podcast, um, Part of the Problem, that there are worse things than racism. I know it's hard for you guys to understand this, but there are people who are being um, starved to death. There are people that are being raped every day. There are people that are um, being beaten every day. There are things that literally 
racism is just it's just a blurb on the whole spectrum of things that we should worry about right now and i think that we've had this um amplified and made into a much bigger deal in the media if you just go if you get off the television if you get off facebook twitter and you just go to your local grocery store like i do and i see mixed race couples with their beautiful children I see people of different faiths talking to each other and smiling and laughing. I see that in my every single day. And I live in the deep South. Okay. The Walmart I go to, we have, it's like we, it's like the colors of the, of Benetton in our Walmart (laughs) and everybody, no, not one person has lost their mind and has tried to hurt somebody because of anything at all. We all get along there. Um, I see uh, that cooperation spontaneously happening every single day. It really is not a big deal, guys. It really is not. So please, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it if you need to. You know, whenever I see somebody that has a different accent or I can tell they're from somewhere, you know, I'm a curious person and I'll I'll ask them if, it, you know, where they're from and we'll talk. About, I, I like talking about different cultures and I like asking them questions. And I think that for the most part, they like that candor. So, you know, quit. they should be they, you know, are gen- genuinely and usually excited to um, share their story. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's, we're all living the human experience here. I just think it's. I do walk on eggshells, I'm not going to lie, but I try not to. And I think that's what, how we should all I be. Know. Same. So, yeah. anyways. Um, be polite. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good word to, place to end it. It's just, you know, let's all just, let's not walk on eggshells. And I'll let Maddie finish it out. Be sane. Just be, yep, yeah, be sane. Be peaceful. And let's keep it voluntary. Amen. <laughs> Ciao, y'all. Bye. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.